The soul of summer in Columbus. The long weekends, the return of festivals, the connection with friends on a rooftop under the stars. The just five more minutes while on an adventure with your tiny travelers. Long live summer and the exploration of Columbus's neighborhoods. Discover itineraries from your favorite Columbus residents like Jenny Britton and Coyote Peterson and learn how to make this summer one to remember. Plan every detail, every minute of summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash liveforward. White Castle presents CEO Lisa Ingram. My great-grandfather opened White Castle in 1921, which is why I'm excited to announce the new 1921 slider, inspired by how we made them 100 years ago with a 100% beef patty topped with cheddar cheese, caramelized onions, tomato, lettuce, and pickles. Come see why originality never goes out of style. I'm Lisa, but you can call me the Slider Queen. White Castle. Long live sliders. Pasteurized processed cheese at participating castles. Do not adjust your dial. This is Lance Brozdowski. I am the co-host of the Razzball Prospect Podcast. I think this is the first time ever I'm introducing the show, and I'm doing it with a lot of honor. Ralph, uh, pass the torch to me for tonight. He is on air with me. He has been, I believe, sleepless for the last week and a half, (laughs) constructing a top 500-plus list. I have a, a sneak peek at it. I've been looking at it for the last couple of days. Me and him have been texting back and forth. And this show is going to kind of break down and highlight a lot of Ralph's thoughts on the list that he has constructed. It includes first-year player draft ranks, some J2 ranks, which was a very recent uh, in memory earlier this Tuesday. Just a ton of stuff here, Ralph, to go through. I have to ask first, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Do I sound like I haven't slept in like uh, eight days? I, I Honestly, I've been compiling this list for eight or nine days now. Just just in terms of like putting names together mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. probably the last two days, I've really been crunching on like the ranks and trying to get, you know, the top 25 and then sort of the top 50 and then the top 100 together. And I think today we had some breakthroughs. I had you take a look and uh, Mike, Mike Blue Jays, Mike from Raz 30. Shout out to Mike if he's listening. I had Mike Young, you know former uh, third baseman shortstop for the Texas Rangers, <laughs> Philadelphia Phillies and others. Um, yeah. So uh, I had Mike take a look too, and he was shooting me over some feedback and I think it's just good to put some things in perspective because there's guys that you're just gaga over. You're just crazy for this particular player, like Terso Ornealis or, you know, Astori Ruiz, like just t- two guys that I just absolutely love as players and prospects. And there are a ton of projection and you've gotten firsthand looks at them very recently within the last few days. Uh, yes. And uh, which I'm interested to hear about. But um, 
and I could kind of put things into perspective through your eyes, you know, I'm sure it's not necessarily my firsthand opinion, but it gives some context to what I like. And it kind of allows me to pump the brakes a little bit and maybe move them back a little. And there's always a nice middle ground between overranking, underranking, you know, there's always like that nice, that nice spot. And I think I finally, finally found it. I know that I found the 100. Maybe a couple of guys will move here and there, but I don't think anything drastic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So the big qualifiers we go into tonight is that obviously some of the numbers and some of the ranks that I'm going to toss out are subject to change. I don't believe this list is coming out for Ralph. I think we're shooting it for Tuesday right now. It's talking in pre-show. So if we say a rank and then eventually you go back to the physical list that Ralph tweets out at Prospect Jesus (laughs) on Twitter, when he tweets that out and if it's different, we apologize. But it's a good primer because I think that even if, you know, you listen to something on this podcast tonight and we go, you know, Josh Naylor's 65, and then you see him at 90 on the list, and you can ask Ralph, like, hey, what happened in that process? And I'm sure you'd be willing to break it down. So there's there's going to be some movement. It's inevitable. As Ralph was saying, you know, we kind of have – he, excuse me, kind of has this top 100 almost, I'd say, borderline solidified. I think he's been talking to me and Mike, obviously, about it a lot, and we have our opinions, and we've been helping him out in terms of just perspective on certain guys. And, like, hey, why is this guy here? Just, just trying to reinforce why Ralph has people places. I think that's the biggest thing. It's like – the biggest thing is philosophy as much as it is an actual rank. So if you come in with a philosophy, and I believe Ralph has constructed a beautiful one in terms of how he's constructed this list, where if you look at certain ranks and then you think back to the philosophy, you'll be able to rationalize why an individual is in a certain spot. And that's huge as opposed to just throwing names on a board and ranking them 1 to 100 and then going, why do you have this random upside outfielder here and then the rest of the six down there? And it's just, it's, it's, it's a massive, massive puzzle. And Ralph is slowly constructing the pieces to it. And he's done a very good job. So let's focus Poetic. on the top one uh, on the top 100 here, Ralph. I want I want to dig into this. I want to go in because the whole show we're just going to do this, and then we'll, at the end we'll kind of segue and talk about Baseball America's list and Fangraphs list. But cool. I, I, we're not going to do any five by five. We're not going to do any updates. I did get a look at Mackenzie Gore and some other guys out in Fort Wayne, beautiful park. We're going to save that. Follow me on Twitter at Lance Brozdow, B R O Z D O W. You could catch up with everything I'm doing. I believe I'm going back actually on Saturday, so you might be listening to this, and I'll probably be on the road back out there to get another look oh. at Terso and, and Justin Rosario and all these other guys just because i was it was a ton of fun that team is stacked and uh you obviously have some guys on this list like that but it's taking a little bit of a step back ralph i want to talk about your general kind of thoughts um around pitching which was an initial thing that i believe when i broached it initially with you you were saying you know just the general pitcher fears uh, excuse me feel for pitchers is a little bit overrated in terms of where those guys were ranked and i believe initially you had guys like mckenzie gore Hunter Green and Brett Honeywell all outside your top 50. And right now I'm looking at the list and I have 12 starting pitchers inside the top 50. So that's a big shift in terms of where you redistributed a lot of the guys you had 50 to 100 back up into that top 50 window. So what happened in that period of time where I saw the list and there wasn't a lot of pitchers in the top 50 and where it's sitting right now? Well, I, I think initially my goal was to rank as many hitters as possible and till it got almost silly. And I just, I, cause initially that when I first made the list, I, I did have like some pitchers mixed in and then I just kept moving them back and back and back and back and back and back and further and further back. And, uh, I actually been having a conversation with Tom Trudeau from uh, dynasty guru and he's like a staunch hitting prospect over pitching prospect. Like he just fades pitching prospects entirely. So, you know, I was kind of looking at it from that end cause I tend to try to draft hitters I, in first year player drafts dynasty stuff, I, you know, especially if it's, if it's five by five roto or six by six roto, I tend to lean very hitter heavy versus pitching, but that's not all. That's not totally necessarily correct. Like it's, it's still half the equation, 
You still need some pitching. What I tried to do was kind of then pick out the guys that had elite skills, the ability to miss bats and dominate games and felt like those guys then sort of got placed in. There's going to be some risk with any of these pitchers, but there's risk with any of these players. I mean, I got Helio Ramos 50, probably talk about that, but with any player, there's some risk. Now there's less, less performance risk and injury risk with hitters, but there hits a point too, where you're projecting out two years down the line versus Brent Honeywell, even though he was hurt, it's going to come in and be able to pitch, you know, Michelle Baez could get bumped up a level pitch really well. And all of a sudden he's in the rotation with a couple of injuries and it's got to be in the right situation. And all of a sudden, you know, uh, you know, no, nobody had D- Domingo Herman on the radar, for example, coming into the season, you know? Um, so I, I think, I think that's part of it too, is it's like, well, I can get all this value from a guy like Eniel de los Santos, who's like just outside my top 100. And there's probably another 30 guys mixed into the next 400 ranks that are all going to be really good pitchers. And one day might be consistently owned in most leagues. The other part of it is I have to balance that as much as I may try to focus in five by five ranks. It's not every format. There's a lot of people who play dynasty head to head. I play dynasty head to head. There's a lot of people that play dynasty head to head points. I play dynasty head to head points, you know, and there's other, uh, leagues where it's quality start. And especially some of my deeper leagues, like the 30 teams, those are like six by six and it's quality start. So starting pitching is more important. And a lot of times the other part of it too, is if it's like a salary cap league, which I'm in a few of those young controllable pitching is really, really paramount, you know, to success because that's what drives down your cost. And you don't have to pay some astronomical fee for a Clayton Kershaw or Jacob Degrom, And then those guys get injured you know, it's a little bit easier when it's a pitching prospect and you only have to pay him like you know, all my leagues just for salary cap purposes. It's like 500,000 is how, how much a cap counts against like a hundred million or $125 million cap, depending upon the league. So I also have to be cognizant of, there's a lot of other scoring types. If it's strictly five by five roto or six by six roto with OBP and it's like save saves holds instead of quality starts. And like, you know, so starting pitching is really depressed in terms of value. And a lot of leagues I'm in are like that. Um, then yeah, I'm going to probably fade pitching a little bit more, but I think it's also my responsibility to put things into perspective. So as I move those pictures back, I was able to have conversations with you and you were like, cause I try to like go back and forth on would I trade this guy for this guy. Would I trade this guy for this guy, it gets really difficult at times. And sometimes there's one guy you wouldn't trade for one guy that you trade for another. I don't know why, but <laughs> <laughs> it does seem to work that way. I'm, and I'm serious. It just, it does seem to work that way. Um, when you sort of, sort of said like, well, I wouldn't trade like, you know, six Honeywell and Gore for, you know, O'Neill Cruz. Yeah. I wouldn't do that either. You know? Mm-hmm. So then, 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 you know, then I was able to sort of just like put those guys back into perspective of like where they should be ranked. Where like, if it's someone that's a little bit closer to the major leagues, like Willie Adamas, maybe I don't think he has, you know, m- massive upside. Now he's ranked a little bit higher than some of these pitching prospects. Um, so maybe he's not the best example or Peter Alonzo. And like, I felt like 
Peter Alonso was going to be up in a week because like Dom Smith gets hurt and they have no one else to play first base. I'm like, all right, you know, maybe I can make that move and I could, I could trade, you know, that upside pitching prospect for a guy who's a little bit more ready-made and floor. So yeah, it's, it's, it's tough because like you said, it's, it's, it, I don't know if it's as much a puzzle as it is like a chess game that you're just like constantly just trying to not expose yourself too much with someone that's just like woefully over or under ranked, mm-hmm. you know? No, that's um, exactly it. I think that that's the point. It's like you talk about how you do want to compensate for the fact that there is risk in starting pitching and you can, you can aggressively start to underrank pitchers because of that. But the, then you start looking at the names around it and I get to a point and I, I think this is kind of where I came in with that, that analysis. Cause I believe at one point you had like guys like O'Neill Cruz and I believe it was Austin Becks who we had the conversation on above guys. <laughs> like this was the initial iteration of the list, like Gore, Green, Honeywell. And I was like, like I get trying to devalue pitching because of the inherent risk, but the pure upside in those three arms in particular, I thought outweighed the, the pitcher versus hitter comparison. Cause in no league would I sh- would I take Austin Beck for any of those three pitchers, you know? And that's one of the things It goes back to that. It's like, well, I understand there's a lot of risk at certain pitchers, but if I'm getting back a guy who maybe is a little bit more utility side, he has utility risk as a hitter. He's in double a like Kevin Biggio or Kevin Biggio is a tough one to rank. You have him currently at 64 and I, Mm. I definitely see him inside the top 100, but he's another one where, you know, playing a lot of first base now is that where he ends up long term is the bat have enough power to play up long term there i've always said it's more pull power than everything than anything which i think always comes with a little bit of risk um on the pitching side of things if they start pitching him uh possibly inside to kind of try to mitigate and jam him on some of that pull side power they throw him breaking balls down and away consistently and he doesn't have discipline to lay off that blah 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 it extends it extends and then you start to look at okay well is Kevin Biggio really an everyday starter is he more of like a utility guy and, and like that's kind of what I go back to on a lot of these ranks. And then, and then I look at the pitchers around there. So it's like a guy like John Duplantier. You have him 59, right-handed pitcher, Arizona Diamondbacks organization from Rice. We've talked about him, I believe, extensively just because he's pitched really well. And I think a lot of people t- tossed the uh, injury tag on him. But a lot of the injuries he has had have been really weird, football-based, odd injuries. He got, almost, he, he's got a bicep injury and he hasn't pitched in a month. I know. It's one of those <laughs> things. Like It's like it, he runs into these things all the time. And it seems like he's getting healthier him. and healthier. But he, the result have been fantastic he was believes the era leader last year and you look yeah. at a guy like him and it's like sure a lot of inherent risk but there's also upside there so how do you rank him in comparison to a guy like Kev- kevin biggio where we're not really sure what the end product is and this goes back to the whole philosophy we were just talking about it's really really hard and that question of would you trade x for y would you trade this player for this player is something that i think you went into this philosophically doing and I think it helps a lot in terms of just trying to baseline where you put certain starting pitchers, compiling all the risk that they have and putting them next to a guy that maybe doesn't have as much upside on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah. And I was going to say on, on Biggio, I felt he was a guy I had outside the top 100, actually, probably like 24 hours ago. And I have Garrett Hampson ranked pretty highly and the results have been great for Hampson since he's moved on to Albuquerque. He was very good when I saw him in Hartford, but I thought to myself, well, Hampson has the upside of Coors if he does get there. Okay. And that's a big question mark with the Rockies organization, the way they handle things. Now, the other part of it is he's got speed. He's had a little bit of power. There's some pop there. I think that will play up. I'm not too worried, but there's this baseline of speed and he's a middle infielder. So, okay, fine. So is Kevin Biggio. Biggio has a decent amount of speed. Biggio's walk rate is like 17% right now. The batting average isn't great. It's like 260, 270, but that's fine. He's going to get on base. I think he runs better than people give him credit for. There is some power there and he's got excellent approach. Like that, that walk rate 
isn't by accident. And I'm sure you mm-hmm. haven't seen Biggio many times, you know, just like I have. He's really, really tough to, to jam up. Like he doesn't chase and he's compact enough that like he doesn't get eaten up with, you know, good stuff on the inside. You know, he'll turn on it a lot too, you know. Mm-hmm. That's where a lot of his pull side's power comes from. Um, can he be a little stiff at times? Sure. Uh, but you know, I, I felt like he was a solid player in the field. Like he wasn't a great second baseman, but I never thought he made like a rash of mistakes. You know, maybe he was limited in terms of what his overall range was. Um, but I felt like he was a guy that could play a few different positions, but that bat plays, mm-hmm. um, he's got the, the swing, you know, uh, uppercut swing. He's got the bat path, you know, to, to, to launch the ball, hit a lot of, uh, fly balls and drive the ball. Um, and I think, you know, his, his bad at ball profile sort of bears that out. But I think Biggio was an eye test guy for me that I saw enough of him that I said, you know what? Yeah, he's probably better than these guys. And he's a shot away from the majors. Now, I, I don't know if the Blue Jays will call him up this year, um, but he should be in the mix within the next year. Like I would imagine a year from now, he was probably in the major leagues. He may see a little time in AAA, but at this point, like, not all prospects see a lot of time in AAA. Sometimes True. they see a year and a half. Sometimes they see a week and a half. I mean, that's what like <laughs> a few of these guys have seen, you know, not a whole lot of time in AAA necessarily used extensively. And they're up in the majors and they can see what they can do. I, I think if I'm the Blue Jays, I would call him up earlier than I would call up Bo or Vlad at this point. I would be less concerned with service time and maybe letting him get his licks in and, and let him get challenged a little bit. Um, but Overall, you know, he's been a he's a professional player, um, takes really professional at bats. You know, there's no nonsense or attitude or anything like that. He just seems like he just, you know, shows up, goes about his business and does his thing, you know. So Absolutely. I, I like I, I like Biggio and I think that's why ultimately I snuck him all the way down and into the 60s is that, hey, he's got some power. He's got some speed. Sure, there's some risk there, but he's, he's pretty close to the majors. And for having that baseline of on base ability with, with some power, with some speed that buys you playing time in the majors right now, you know, being able to get on base, that's like a baseline skill and, and not mm-hmm. striking out too much strikeout rates kind of high, but you know, maybe that was stabilized a little bit. We'll see. Yep. Exactly. He's interesting. Yeah. So let's jump from uh, the mid sixties here with Biggio all the way to the top rough. I want to run through your one through 20 very quickly. And then I'm going to ask sure. you one question. Number one, you have Vlad Guerrero Jr. Shocker. Number two, Fernando Tatis Jr. Three is Kyle Tucker. Four is Victor Robles. Five is Joe Adele. Six, Aloy Jimenez. Seven, Bo Bichette. Eight, Nick Senzel. Nine, Keston Huria. Ten, Royce Lewis. Eleven, Taylor Trammell. Twelve, Brendan Rodgers. Thirteen, Jesus Sanchez. Fourteen, Francisco Mejia. Fifteen, Alex Kirilov. Sixteen, mm-hmm. Forrest Whitley. Seventeen, Carter Keboom. Uh, kaboom, kaboom, I don't know. 18, Jordan Alvarez, uh, the uh, Astros' first baseman. Um, 19, Austin Riley, and 20, Louis Roberts. So of those 20 guys, Ralph, by the time this list actually drops, who do you think you would adjust, or is this solidified? Um, this, is, this is solidified, yeah. This isn't, this isn't moving at all. I'm really comfortable where everyone's ranked. Um, I, I love being aggressive on Alex Kirilov. I just believe in it. I just believe that this kid's going to hit. Um, and I'm not concerned if he struggles for a few months, you know, mm-hmm. whether that's when he hits double a or, or any other area, uh, level, because I just think that baseball is just so inbred in this kid. And it's, 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 you know, his approach is excellent. 
He makes good contact. The power's there. It seems like the work ethic's there. He's been through this whole, you know, Tommy John situation, overcame that. Now, you know, he's he's just raking and, you know, has moved up a couple of levels, moved up uh, to uh, a level, um, Fort Myers, you know, yep. to high A, obviously, uh, Fort Myers. But, yeah, I, I, to me, you know, that's the guy that uh, I know I'll probably get some questions on, but I just I, I'm fine being aggressive because I just think that he's a really special hitter. Mm-hmm. And exactly. I think you're also going to get some questions on Joe Adele at five. If you have him ranked five, you yeah. must have a pretty high kind of threshold on what the upside can eventually become for a player like this. So kind of talk about where you see his upside long term and dynasty leagues, because it's got to be pretty high. Yeah, I think I think this is a five tool player. Um, you know, he's a better hitter than advertised. I think, you know, he's met every challenge. He struggled for a couple of weeks once he was promoted to uh to, to, to high a. And, uh, since that time, all he's done is just, you know, mash. He's got speed though. I think he'll probably grow out of that a little bit, but I think initially his first few years, he will have a really nice power speed combo. Um, I think there's better approach than, and, and contact ability than, than people gave him credit for. He does hit for average. I, I think he can be, you know, a, a top round player in 12 team redrafts within five years. Like, I, I think he's, I think he's that good. I think he can be an elite player. Mm-hmm, exactly. And you have Austin Riley, 19, is another one I believe you've been relatively aggressive on in your last update as well. Um, yeah. Where's his ETA, do you think, at the major league level, and what's the impact long-term? You have him right next to guys like Robert and obviously your boy Tyler O'Neill. You have a 21 and the Ryan McMahon, 22. So I feel like those are kind of guys that are a little bit diverse. I mean, we have Riley O'Neill and McMahon, I think are all basically MLB ready in terms of what their skill set is. Then you have Robert who's much further off, but the, the raw talent, I think emulates Joe Adele relatively well in terms of maybe more on the speed side, a little bit less power, I would say, but just that five tool breed of player that I think a lot of people are going to swoon over in leagues is there's, that's where those guys fall. So Austin, let's start with Austin Riley on that. Where's his upside? Yeah, I think, I think Riley's one of these guys that can be, um, He's different than Miguel and Duhar, but I, I think from the sense that, you know, he'll have stretches where he has a lot of impact. People will be really impressed by the power. He'll put together a good at bat. Um, he'll have some rough patches as well. He's going to strike out. I, I don't think that's necessarily going to stabilize because he's still very young. Um, but when you look at the body of work and the fact that, you know, he just turned 21, you know, the first day of the season and he's already, you know, shown that he's too advanced for, for double a, you know, I think, you know, we've seen the numbers. He had three fifteen, three eighty nine, five eleven last year, this year in 27 games, three thirty three, three ninety four, six seventy seven. strikes out a bit. The strikeout rate is still in the twenties walk rate, you know, seven to 9% somewhere in that range. You know, I'd say eight and a half will split the difference. Um, and then he went up to triple to a in the 26 games that he was there. He hit really well, uh, there. I mean, I think he had his struggles as well. Didn't hit for quite as much power. Um, a lot of that's the international league. It's not the easiest league to hit for power. And then he hurt his knee. So mm-hmm. he's been off. He's been on the shelf for about a month now. I think I don't know what the update is and when he's going to come back, but, um, this is a guy that had a three home run game already in, in triple a. And I just think that when you're 21 years old and you're a young 21 for the entirety of the season you're in triple a you have power that can do that it plays in games already at that level and you know you don't have zero approach he does have some approach he takes good at bats does make some contact makes a lot of hard contact and you're on a team that 
hasn't been shy about promoting players that are ready or where they have a need and they do have a need. Not really right now with Carmargo hitting the way he is, but I certainly think they can move Carmargo over to shortstop and, uh, and, and trade Dansby Swanson and give up on that project and then move Austin Riley into, into the lineup <laughs> as the everyday third baseman. But I think it's worked out well, uh, that Carmargo has broken out now while Riley's been hurt. But, uh, yeah, I think that he's, he'd be Kyle Seeger, right? Mm-hmm. I, and Kyle Seeger is a pretty valuable player. Like there, there aren't, a ton of Kyle Seeger is in every top 100 ranks that I do. And I think that the floor is relatively high and there's still some ceiling there. He should get better. His contact should get better. His approach should get better. His power should get better. And the fact that he's only 21 years old and he's improved his body, he's improved his physical condition. He's improved his glove to the point that he's a pretty good defender. Now, um, he was kind of a, a chubby, bad body kid. He's a little, you know, he's more slender now you know, more of like, you know, a stocky, strong, um, you know, sort of chiseled build, mm-hmm. um, which is much different th- from, from where Austin Riley was a few years ago. Absolutely. So he's yep. putting the work too. So I think that's a big part of it, but I won't, I won't wax poetic about Austin Riley for another 10 minutes. <laughs> no, don't worry. I want to jump down as you, as you kind of go right past McMahon. You have, I believe, let me make sure my numbers are correct here. You have 10 of the 2018 draft picks inside your top 100. The top five I am seeing are 23 of Alec Bohm, 27 is Jonathan India, 31 is Nick Madrigal. Then you have Casey Mize at 47 and then Trevor Larnock at 66. How hard was it to rank some of these guys with very little samples or basically no samples of them at lower minor league levels? Were you going off mainly what you saw in the draft and what you did, you know, when we were talking about that a while back, or was it more just yeah. kind of trying to baseline and compare to what, where are their talents maybe compared to some other guys on your list? I think it's a little of both. I think it's all, you know, I think it's a prior knowledge and understanding the track record throughout the process of the draft over the last year, you know, maybe some early licks from, from Bohm or someone like that. Um, but most of these guys have been on the radar since last year's Cape league or even before that, you know, and we've seen some of them blossom. Boom certainly has blossomed and he had, he fits uh, a prototype or a particular bucket that is really successful. And I think India fits into that bucket as well as does Nick Madrigal. And for the most part, the floor is really, really high there. And there's some upside. They could be great players. I mean, there's been a lot of really good college hitters that have come in the, you know, first 15 to 25 picks of the draft, particularly the top 10 that have turned into, you know, all-stars, multi-time all-stars. So I'm not sure, you know, I don't think Alec Bohm is a Chris Bryant or something like that. And he's certainly not ranked that way. Um, but 23, I think that he's someone that can move fast. He's got that power speed, uh, excuse me, power speed, power, uh, average uh, combination that will play well. And, you know, he's, he's somebody that's going to have a lot of value and have a lot of buzz too. So, um, at this point, I think it's an appropriate rank and it's, it's a little aggressive, uh, you know, same thing with India. It's a little aggressive, but I think that, you know, we've seen these guys come in and just immediately show that they're, you know, top 100 worthy, top 50 worthy players, you know, whether it's, you know, Ben Intendi or Alex Bregman, there's been a lot of guys like that that have come right in and impressed. And I think, you know, the only things that have held back some of these guys have been injuries like a Kyle Lewis or someone like that, who's still struggling with the knee stuff. But, uh, talent wise, you know, I think that as long as those guys have good luck and stay healthy for the most part, they matriculate pretty quickly and they turn into 
pretty good players and guys that you want to target in dynasty leagues. Mm-hmm. And when I've been starting to look at like my, my top 100 ranks too, I've noticed that's something I've had not trouble with per se, but just it's, it's tough to slot in guys when you don't have too much of a baseline on them. And I feel like that's where we end up with a lot of these first year player draft guys. And, and that kind of leads me to wondering some of the toughest players to rank. And I, I almost came up with some of my own as I was looking at your list, Raph, just because I was like, you asked me maybe X or a, player A or player B, and I just I shrugged because I was like, I don't know. That's actually really close. Or it, should I move? You know, you asked me, I think, a couple times about Lowe. Should I move him up and down, Brandon Lowe, or some other guys as well? But the name that stuck out to me in terms of just being really hard to rank for a variety of reasons, one of those reasons we already kind of touched on was regarding the starting pitching risk embedded in a lot of these guys. And that's elevated for a guy like Chris Paddock, who you have ranked at 42, who's coming off Tommy John surgery. There's been some research, I believe, done that there's a, a Tommy John tick up and then it kind of tails off. We saw that with guys like Jose Fernandez and you Darvish and others, I'm sure. And with Chris Paddock, we have unbelievable numbers of Bugs Bunny changeup. We talked about this time and time again with Paddock. You have him 42, right ahead of Mike Soroka, who I believe is 43 on your list. When I saw him ranked, I, I think I like the rank you currently have on him. You have him right around Mitch Keller. Um, you have him behind Hunter Green, Sixto Sanchez, Brandon McKay. You have him ahead of guys like Drew Waters, Garrett Hampson, Helio Ramos, Mackenzie Gore. So he's right kind of in that mix, right near Casey Mott and some of these other guys. Was that the hardest guy to rank, or was there another one that stood out to you? Um, he was, I don't, I don't know if he was all that tough to rank. I mean, in some ways, yes, but I think once I sort of figured out how I was going to approach pitching, he was a little bit easier to, you know, rank out that like, I, I would still rather have Hunter green personally. I really like Hunter green. You know, maybe it's a, a little bit of a binky thing. I just think that he has, uh, a certain, as I said to you, a certain je ne sais quoi that, you know, <laughs> and I just think it's an, <laughs> I think it's, yeah, I think it's like an, it's an attitude thing. It's the mechanics. I just think that in many ways, he's like a perfect pitching prospect, you know, mm-hmm. um, maybe you worry about his elbow and that sort of thing with the velocity, but I think it's relatively easy velocity from what you've discussed yep, and, and said. Um, and maybe we can talk maybe your opinion at some point of, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, may not even necessarily on this show of, of Gore, versus green having gotten some looks. And I just feel that there's an attitude thing too with green that I just don't feel that even if he was pitching badly, that he couldn't sort of, you know, get caught up in the moment and make a big pitch, you know, um, and get him like, I feel like there's a, a, there's a level of that that just sort of comes across with green and in the starts that I've watched and just interviews and just some of the things that you sort of noticed about him and interactions and stuff like that, that, um, I just think elevates him a little bit and, you know, maybe it's me poeticizing green and not talking about Chris Paddock, but Paddock Paddock is down behind some of those guys that, I mean, he could be in the major leagues, the end of the season, he probably won't be, but he could be, or early next year, he should be by, you know, the all-star break next year for sure. Um, and he could be. Uh, a top 30 pitcher. It's totally possible. I mean, I think he could get major league hitters out now. That's not a question in my mind. Um, and he could have more impact within the next year and a half, two years than green, than Sanchez, Sixto Sanchez, who's, who's injured. Brendan McKay, who I guess technically is a pitcher is ranked ahead of him. Uh, and probably even like Michael Kopech, you know, I'm not sure I'm necessarily going to go as far as to say Jesus Lazardo. I just, I, I think Lazardo is just a, beast he's just an absolute mm-hmm. animal um you know he, he's taken every challenge even when he struggled it seems like he figured out and adjusted and he came back twice as bad you know 
Um, the other issue with Paddock is innings. Um, you know, he hasn't gone deep into games. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, I had to weigh with him and his upside of, and ultimately, you know, the fact that he misses as many bats as he does. And he did go six innings his last time out. So I guess he's got that going for him, but, um, didn't have a great game though. Uh, the fact that he misses as many, as many bats as he does, I think is what separates him from someone like Mitch Keller, who Mitch Keller has, you know, more of a track record of innings. And I think he will be in, in innings either. And that's where a lot of his value is going to come from is accumulating totals in fantasy, which is a little different, right? Everyone looks at K rate versus the fact that this guy's going to pitch a lot of innings. And I think he's ready to be a hog in the middle of, you know, of a rotation. Um, and you know, that's why Keller's within, the, within the top 50, where I think there might be some people in the fantasy community that might necessarily disagree with that. So, I, th- I think it was just trying to balance Paddock's risk versus other guys' floors versus Paddock's upside versus what the other ups- the upside is for some of some of these other guys. I just think that he has a legitimate out pitch. His curveball is above average. He doesn't throw it a ton, but he does have feel for it, and his fastball is good. Mm-hmm. And he's got good command and control of all of his pitches, and he throws a lot of strikes, walks almost no one, and he misses bats. I just think that that's a recipe for success in the major leagues as a starter. For me, I think he's at the same point in terms of progression from that Tommy John that Walker Bueller was at a year ago where he was really good, but it was like how deep into a game can he go? Now Bueller, of course, got hurt. It wasn't the elbow or anything, but, mm-hmm. but Bueller, of course, got hurt this season, but we've seen the reins kind of came off him a little bit. And I'm hoping that's the case with Paddock and, you know, maybe the Padres start to try to get a little bit more interesting over the next year calling up to and Paddock, um, you know, and Baez or Quantrill or Logan Allen or, you know, some of these guys, you know, Urias, I think should be up this year. Urias should be up in like a couple of weeks at this point. There's no reason they should just let, I mean, he's been in triple a for like a year and a half. It's like Ozzy Albee syndrome. I mean, you know, just get, get Urias into the major leagues, please already. I know I I'm very, very interested for two reasons with Paddock. One is just more developmentally with what the Padres do with pitching. And they've been relatively successful with guys like Lucchese and I know uh, I don't think Logan Allen had the greatest debut when he came up, but you know it's it's one of those things like you you have such good. Um, I'm thinking of Logan Allen might be missing that up with the other guy that I always get him mixed up with, um, Logan yeah. Allen and who's the other guy? Ah, I'll skip over it and then you can correct me in a second. <laughs> but developmentally, what I'm talking about with the Padres in terms of how good they are to, with pitching is I get a little bit worried when I see a large inning, an amount of innings after a surgery like this because you you kind of want to wonder, you know, there's obviously going to be some kind of cap. He's already at 52 innings on the year. He's up to double A in San Antonio where he's pitching with, I believe, some other, or he's playing with uh, with, with Tatis now. And, and that's basically essentially knocking on the door for me just because he's so advanced. I think Tatis, they want to keep down and play with maybe the service time a little bit more. But but Paddock, and the other reason I'm interested in Paddock is the fact that change-ups in lower minors, I don't think is a pitch that many people see plus versions of consistently enough to be have any recognition against it so i'm very eric, interested. eric lauer eric lauer thank you i always get them mixed up lauer. all those all those weird guys on the padres that aren't michelle buys Morejon, and the others i, I mix, blend he together a, into he one set a record he set a record for uh, era at kent state his last year there he might have set a record for home runs in Peco Park in that in the, uh, first outing of his, I think, if I remember correctly. But. I think he's been pitching pretty well of late, though, if hey, I'm not mistaken. Turn things around. <laughs> but, but, I mean, Lucchese, too, is another guy. Like, Preller does a pretty good job of development. But going back to Paddock, you know, the innings concern Daniel. for me. 
Daniel De, De Los yeah, Santos. He's Phillies, yeah, yeah, another, that's another one. He's, he's another Padres prospect. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, I just, I'm interested to see higher levels with the changeup. So when you ask me where to rank, I think we, we conversed a little bit about Paddock. And I was like, can I just see like two to three starts? At double A, because I just want to see how double A hitters react to his changeup. Because you mentioned he has a curveball, and it is, it, it's an average to plus curveball. He has a feel for it now, or it's probably more average present, but um, potentially could get to above average in the future. But he has a feel for that pitch, and I, I'm just interested to see how much of a feel it really is. Because has he ever really needed to use that at lower levels? You know, that's the other thing. I saw Mackenzie Gore over the weekend was dominating with his curveball. He didn't throw his changeup at all. I think he threw two or three sliders. And I look back at that, and I go, you know, he's a guy who has control of all of his secondaries, but he's not really going to ever have to really sequence those well until he gets up to a place like Lake Elsinore or up to San Antonio where he starts to actually have to use those against advanced hitting. So I think that that's a huge thing. It's like we often get carried away with lower minor stats and domination. And and I, I, it's understandable because it's success is success. And paddocks especially are just insane on the control side of things, particularly opposed to just the, the strikeouts themselves. So I, I'm thoroughly intrigued by paddock. He's a very, I just think he's a tough one to rank overall, and I've just always had trouble with that. Um, I want to continue now into some more youth, Ralph. You, you have a general trend on this list. Once you get past 50 to rank a lot of, of young players with a lot of upside. Helio Ramos at 50. You have Colton Welker at 55. Suli Matias at 60. George Valera is an aggressive rank at 61. Woo. O'Neal Cruz at 76. And then two individuals I believe we talked about earlier in the podcast, Terso Ornelas and uh, Estuary Ruiz at 84 and 85. These are all inside your, your 50 to 100 overall window. What's the... What's the general kind uh, kind of want for this kind of upside with risk talent? Is that just something you would rather take shots on that as opposed to guys where you kind of know where they are, or is it um, just a pure valuation thing where you, you you prefer some of these talents we don't maybe know much about or don't have much polish on? Yeah, I think I think part of it is um, history. You know, like I I've been doing these lists now for three years and. You know, I've been following prospects for for even longer than that and prospect lists, but this is probably the seventh or eighth list that I've made now, you know, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of it is like bang on prospects. You see how guys develop and the guys you should maybe be a little bit more aggressive on. I wish I was more aggressive on like Vlad Jr. early on, you know, players like that. And sure. I think or with like Juan Soto, um, I think you see someone like George Valera and you're like, hey, the profile is there. The scouting reports are there. What I see on video is very much there. This guy is unbelievably impressive, but he's a lot of years away. I mean, if I'm going on pure upside, Valera's in the top 50, easy, Mm -hmm. probably the top 40. So I try to balance that a little bit, but also be aggressive and say, I'm planting my flag here. You should own this guy if he's available in your dynasty league. And you should, or, you know, if he's able to be auctioned on in your prospect auction, the end of the season, middle of the season, wherever you do it, you should be aggressive to try to get George Valera at this point, because this is the time to buy him cheap and then watch him grow. And he turns into a great trade chip or a great player for your team Um, where, you know, a guy like Sue Mateus, obviously he's got that one really, really loud tool. He's very, very raw. There's some stuff there where. You know, it's very risky. His his risk might be higher than Valera's, even though you know he's obviously at a full season ball level and mashing homers left and right. But there's a lot of growth that needs to happen there. But I also remember watching you know someone like you know not the same guy, but someone like Joey Gallo, who you know also struggled with some approach. And of course, he's hitting 188 right now, but he had a great season last year. Um, 
but those guys playing fantasy, they're still valuable in a dynasty. League. It's not going to give up on Joey Gallo after a bad season. He's going to have another good one, you know? Um, so I felt with a guy like Sui, I also don't want to go crazy. I want to adjust my expectations a little bit, maybe keep him outside that top 50 and hope that he makes that adjustment. And that's when I can sort of push him up in the rankings. But at this point, I also want to stake my flag that, Hey, this guy's really, really good. I would rather have him than someone like a Brandon Lowe, or maybe even a Nate Lowe, who I feel are much closer to the finished product. And it's difficult to look at, you know, the finished table that's, you know, it just needs to have the stain put on it versus like a piece of wood that's been shaved down into a bunch of parts, you know, you're like, wow, it's going to be really beautiful. I can see what you're trying to do here, but you just, you have to sort of trust the process. I hate that expression at this point because it's so played out, but you do, you got you got to, you got to trust the fact that they're going to develop. There's certain attributes that accentuate success and buy guys the opportunity to develop at the next level. Sometimes it's defense. Sometimes that's one really exceptional tool and power is a really good one to hang your hat on. And, uh, it hasn't held Sully back, you know, his approach issues. Helio Ramos is a guy that I think it's really easy to lose perspective on him. Um, you get a f- aggressive full season assignment. He's 18 years old. He was playing on the Island of Puerto Rico and a lot of these showcases. Um, and you know, I don't, I don't want to, you know, make any, any wild statements here, but I just don't know what the level of competition was for, for Ramos. And then he came and he killed the Arizona league. And I just think that there was a lot of development that needed to happen as a player. Um, you know, and he's an 18 year old kid. And there's that whole process. Not everybody is Vlad junior. Not everybody is Juan Soto. Um, over the last month, you know, he's hitting like 260 or 270 with a few homers. The slash line is much improved. Uh, he's walking eight or 9% of the time. Strikeout rate is like below 25%, I believe. So that shows me that he's making improvement. His third month there, he's making some adjustments. The approach is getting a little bit better. And I would much prefer in fantasy to own Helio Ramos to Leody Tavares at this point. And Tavares has been crazy ranked uh, for years, including by myself. And I finally sort of pushed him down a little bit because I feel like there's other guys that have a lot more offensive upside. Colton Welker's in high A and isn't that far away from being a star in Hartford. So... Uh, I'm excited about him. He's got approach. He's a good hitter. He's got power. Sure. It's Lancaster. Um, but I, I think he can hit. I don't, I don't doubt that the fact that he's able to take such advantage of Lancaster, I think has a lot to do, uh, with the fact that he has such great ability. O'Neill Cruz, uh, sort of popped up. We already always knew about him when he signed back in 2015 with the Dodgers. He was part of a, that big, big class with Yadier Alvarez and some other names. And, um, He's only 18 now, and we're we're 19, and we're seeing the skills. He's got power. He's got speed. I think that Cal Mitchell's a better hitter than him. He might have a little bit more upside than Cal Mitchell because of that power, that speed. And he's a monster. He's like you know Aaron Judge sort of height. And then Tierso and uh, Estuary Ruiz are two players that I just I, I have a, a, a fond fond appreciation for. Tierso being a guy that for how young he is and the level that he's at. Uh, he hits for some power. He has some approach. He gets on base. He can hit for some contact. Estuario Ruiz kind of has this Alfonso Soriano thing going on where he kind of has like a wild approach. Um, and there's some sort of 
uh, things that may never be fully polished in his game, I guess. No, <laughs> no, no. Me a face. The, you watch. You, you got to pass it back to me. I'm not, I have some thoughts but, uh, about all this. <laughs> but he has he has some power and he and he does have some speed. So I I don't know. I mean, all those guys to me are players that I want to own. And some of the more boring guys that maybe we're producing at a higher level, I'd much rather take a, a risk on some of these type players. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, I think that going back to backtracking to Helio first before I get into the, the what I thought of Asturi and, and Tierso. Um, with, with a guy like Helio, I'm always interested, in, and this is something I noticed with Beck, and I talked to Austin Beck about at the Midwest League All-Star game, in terms of just they come out of a lower level with a wilder swing, and you see the raw stats, and you go, wow, power and sure. speed. Like, that's impressive. Look at the strikeout rate. That's not good. Well, if he just brings that down, everything kind of sticks together. But then the issue is, in terms of analyzing a player like that, when the strikeout rate comes down, and this is with Helio Ramos, you know, rookie ball, he goes 32% strikeout rate, and then now he's in A ball, full season, 26% strike rate to an 8% walk rate. So the strikeouts are down, but the power is also down. The ISO falls from 300, which is unsustainable, to about 140, which is, I think, right around average to plus. Um, or no, it's actually a little bit below average. Excuse me. He's only slugging like 379, which isn't too great. But you have the strikeout rate cut with a bit of a power dip. And I think a lot of people look at that and just go, oh, that's not good. Like, I, I was hoping that he'd just be able to cut the strikeout rate and retain the power. But the, the thing is, I think a lot of these younger guys, when they adjust, what they do is they kind of consolidate their swing a little bit, which kind of maybe if they don't have fully formed upper bodies, which a guy like 18-year-old Helio Ramos, who's uh, fangirls has him at 6185, like wouldn't be stunned to see him grow another inch or two and put on another 15 pounds. So it's, yeah. a, it's that point, like, okay, so if, if he's at a 27 strike rate, do you see any future eventual um, power coming out of it? So, like, that's kind of where my mind goes on guys like this and guys like Austin Beck, et cetera, where I just – I really like to see a lot of improvement, but I, I think that at times you have to parse out the improvement with potential power cuts. So if you fully believe in that player having exceptional bat speed and plus future power and the power dips a little bit but the strikeout rate comes down, you have to consider whether you buy – still buy the power aspect of the player himself. So that's my thoughts on Helio. And I, I did get a little bit of a look at Tierso and Estero Ruiz and – I was interested mainly because the Tinkaps team is just so stacked that I, I was watching Gore so intently and, and really trying to track what he was doing pitch-wise and pitch-mix-wise. I was charting him and stuff that I, I almost kind of didn't really focus too much on any of the hitters on this team. And they have Justin Rosario. Or actually, I think it's, I think it's pronounced Jason Rosario, which I did not know. Um, yeah. So another one of these guys where I learned the spelling or learned the pronunciation of thanks to the PA people. So, uh, but they have Gabriel Arias. They have Tirso um, Nellas, Luis Campanzano. Um, Luis Almanzar, they have so many guys on this team that are just stacked that I was like, every time Gore wasn't pitching, I was like going back and looking through what Gore was doing. And then, I, then there'd be another hitter up that was like top 20 in the Padres list who ends up probably top eight on so many other lists just because, just because the Padres list is so deep. So, yeah. so on Tierso, I like Tierso a lot. He's, he looks young and he looks like he can add weight. I think he, he's almost has like on the borderline baby fat side of things. He's a big kid. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he solidifies out and if the speed comes down a little bit, but the power goes up. His approach is the one thing that I noticed in the little bit of time that I got to see him and the couple of swings he took, um, that it is a little bit more advanced possibly than a lot of the other guys on his team, including Arias. Um, Jason Rosario's approach is probably a little bit better, but I just don't see the same upside in terms of power hit tool there. Yeah. But I think Tierso's the guy I like more, just in terms of my initial first impression. I, again, I'm going to try to get back out and see him Saturday. And Asterius is interesting just because he's got 30 stolen bases in the Midwest League, which... I, I always have trouble projecting out the speed. I think people love the hit tool on him. They don't like the fact that I think a lot of people toss out that Alfonso Soriano comp is they toss it out because Soriano was never really the best defender. And I think his theory falls into that, unfortunately. So yes. it's like if 
the Padres don't have tolerance for him at second base, which I, if you look at the long-term plans of that team, I don't think they will personally, just because I, I would assume no. they like Tatis that short, and then they move Arias to second, and then third base is kind of a blend between whoever they want to go with Fee and Wave and some of these other guys. But if they do that, then, then Estero Ruiz ends up in the outfield somewhere, possibly in a corner spot where you have to really squint maybe to see future power. Even though the bat speed I thought was pretty good, even though the contact ability is good, is it really worth it in a fantasy league to go after a guy where you just hope everything works out and he's a plus hit tool outfielder? I think best case scenario, he ends up like a speedier Adam Eaton. Which that's like absolutely, absolutely best if you project out no power. But there's obviously other variations off that where if you project out some more power, you can end up and be a little more positive on him. But again, I don't want to solidify any of those comments. I want to wait. Arias at shortstop, I'll, I'll allude to. I, I'm not sure you have him on your list, Ralph. I'll pull him up quick. But, no, but Arias he's, is he's at, way down right now. Yeah, you have him at 279. Really, really good defender from what I've seen. His arm strength is plus. I, I really liked his actions oh, at yeah. short. He had a really nice I love two him. over the shoulder <laughs> catches. Um, but, yeah, he's another really interesting one where he goes out to the Aussie League and, and destroys everything and shows power that no one ever thought he had. And then he comes back a little bit more of an upright stance. He looks like an extremely raw version of, like, Carlos Correa in terms of how upright he is. I don't want to use that comp outside of the pure aesthetics of the player. Nothing more. Yeah. But, um, but Arias is interesting as well. So, I mean, I don't want to devolve into all these, all these Padres guys. But, um, but that's kind of the impression. I think that's some good banter back and forth in terms of just some of the higher upside guys that we're seeing at the back half of your, your top 100 overall. Um, I want to segue now kind of into more modern players that I, I believe everyone might have a better base on as seeing at the major league level. Um, the funny thing is, I think we were joking a little bit about, Ralph, where some of these guys who are on the fringes of losing their prospect eligibility are just so hard to rank because you kind of see everything about them, but then you try to baseline it with some of the other guys where you don't. And it's just tough because you're like, okay, I know what this player is. How much do I value this? And how much do I value it next to a guy where I kind of know what he is, but maybe he's in double A. Maybe there's some more room for growth. So a few of the guys that I picked out uh, regarding this that fall into this category, um, I don't know if we call them basically guys just about to lose their prospect eligibility. This includes Alex Verdugo, who you have at 35, Franklin Barreto, who you have at 39, and Luis Gohara at 95. I'm sure there's some others mixed in here as well that, are, that have some major league playing time but maybe don't have um, – too much a love on the list as a whole but uh how tough was it to rank some of these guys and i i mean i think we both kind of know that we just want to lose prospect eligibility just because it is hard to rank <laughs> them but uh I, I i want i was interested just generally on your strategy around ranking a guy like Barreto and verdugo around like 35 40 where it's like you know it seems like a safe rank i like both those ranks because i think they're both players who will produce at the major league level but comparing them to guys like let's see who you have around um 35 you have Alex Verdugo at 35, the McKay 34, and Hunter Green 36. So that's, again, we, we just goes back to the fact that if Verdugo's at the major league level, he's a major league ready talent, I would say. Maybe there's some other weird issues here and there that everyone's brought up. But then you got Hunter Green, extremely high upside, really, really young, three years off. Then Brendan McKay, another guy who seems to be still a two-way guy, even though the pitching is probably working out more. So why sandwich mm -hmm. Verdugo in there, and why, why go with a guy like Barreto right around guys like Peter Alonso and Brandon Marsh? Yeah. So, um, I think, you know, the, the thing with Verdugo, he's probably been in the 30 to like 40 range for me now for like two and a half years because <laughs> he's been so majorly ready. I think that number one, he's a gold glove caliber outfielder. He's a guy that's going to stick at that position. He could play center field every single day. Um, the hit tool is excellent. It's an easy six. It might even be better than that. He gets on base. He walks at a good clip. He rarely strikes out. The power is going to keep on developing. Uh, he's hit for a little bit more power this year. He's got a little bit of speed. He does a little bit of everything well. I think the power can play up a little bit at the major league level. And I think if this guy gets a consistent two months to start or three months where he's really in the mix 
for four or five games a week with the Dodgers, I think you'd start to see the numbers pile up. We've seen what Brandon Nemo is right now. I think that Alex Verdugo can be a better version of what Brandon Nemo is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think that's a very good comp in terms of just in terms of just how you're ranking those guys. What about Barreto? Barreto's another guy who uh, mm-hmm. is a weird one in terms of just he's gotten some playing time in, in small batches. I always bats. love the hit tool. But um, it's weird because he has, like, these two homer games. I believe he had one recently, and then other times he just doesn't put up anything. And, you know, he's got – what does he have? 54 plate appearances this year. He's still batting 212, and his last inning was a 197 hitter, which just seems like such a big deviation from the hit tool that we understood. You know, he had 43 games at AAA this year with a higher strikeout rate, but he was walking 11% of the time with a low average. So there seems like there's a lot of volatility here. He's still 22, which is the thing I always come back to on Barreto. It's just that, you know, the hit tool always is graded out as, as average to plus. And then he's 22 and he's at the major league level and he has 60 plate appearances or so right on the fringes of losing prospect eligibility. And, it, it, you know, it, again, it goes back to the fact that he's, he's plus middle infielder too. He's got, he's got a little bit of speed. It's non-zero, even though his build is a little bit stockier. I think his throws good. Fielding's, I think, probably averaged above as well. And I think that's, not really shown in what Fangraphs has on its defensive metrics, but that's probably because of maybe a little bit of devaluation of the arm strength he has, which is obviously a plus asset. So what about Franklin Barreto, Ralph? Yeah, I think it's just the the power and speed combination in the middle infield and the fact that he's so close. This is the last time I'm probably going to rank Franklin Barreto. Uh, he's seven at-bats away from surpassing his limits. He got called down in the midst of me doing this list. I just added him today. Um, but I felt that <laughs> where he is, what the situation is, the fact that he still needs to make sort of one adjustment. And a lot of it is just chasing crap. His, his chase rates have been awful in the major leagues. The same issues that he's had in the minors gets away with it a little bit more because he has really good bat to ball at times, but it's, you know, it's, why is, is, it's just, I think it's, he has bad pitch selection at times. I think he chases stuff. He gets over aggressive and counts, um, but he's been up and down. It's been a roller coaster ride uh, if you own Barreto because at times he looks absolutely tremendous. And then there's other times where he looks completely lost. And, you know, he does something like he walks a lot more, but the batting average is way down. Um, there's always been power throughout. There's always been speed there. He could be a 2020 guy. And even if that guy hits 260, 250 in the major leagues, 2020 guy is still pretty valuable, especially if he's a middle infielder. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and the last question I kind of want to ask you about this list. Uh, actually, you know what? I want to ask you about Rotoware, Ralph. What do you think about Rotoware? Yeah, where, where do they rank on this? They would rank uh, number one. They would be ahead of Vlad Guerrero Jr. Sorry, <laughs> Vladdy, Vladito, but we're we're bouncing them down. Uh, that would be Rotoware, Rotoware.com. Uh, Kenneth Cashman at Kenneth underscore Cashman on Twitter at Rotoware at Rotoware Classic. Go check out Rotoware Classic. Those are the shirts that Kenny had partnered up with Amazon on. He's been pumping out a ton of different designs. They've gotten promo from Tyler O'Neill, somebody that's ranked very highly on my list. Uh, he's gotten some 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 love from Mitch Haniger, a guy that I ranked many years ago. James Paxton, a guy that I have never ranked because I'm not that old in terms of uh, making prospect lists, but I, I guess I could have been. I missed him by a few years. But anyway, Rotoware, they have great designs. They have designs for every single fan base. It seems like at this point, whether it's, it's football, whether it's baseball, awesome basketball shirts, the WTF JR shirt is still hilarious. Like a month after the NBA finals has ended, uh, it still makes me laugh. Um, and you can use our promo code Sagnoff S A G N O F to get 20% off all of your purchases on Rotoware.
Absolutely. Amazon.com right now, if you sort by his newest arrivals, uh, Hicks dig the long ball. I believe he shot that one out right out of the Sunday night game that Hicks hit. Uh, a trio of home runs. He has uh, some NBA draft shirts, a couple on Luka Doncic going to the Mavs. He's got the Eddie Rosario shirt, which if you asked me four years ago, Ralph, if there was ever anyone in the world that would make an Eddie Rosario shirt, I don't know if I'd, I, I don't know if I'd take the yes on that, but Kenny has made two in a couple colors, and I'm a big he's fan. A top, he's a top 12 outfielder right now. I, I love it. I love it. I, man, he's a guy I, I saw a ton in New Britain way back, and I just never thought this would be the product, but he's, I'm, I'm he's loving He's a scooter genetic nice of the guy. outfield. Constantly disrespected, <laughs> but consistently good. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Kenny also has an amazing shirt, the Hanniger shirt. I know that's gotten some love, as, as Ralph said on Twitter, from Mitch Hanniger himself in the flesh of the real Seattle Manor outfield. There's Ziegler Hold shirt, Maximus Muncy, a ton of stuff here that I love. He had a, a, a Rondon Corleone shirt, um, which is very gangster of him, I guess you could say. And <laughs> the Alex Reyes ace shirt, which uh, you might not want to wear now until he comes back, as all the Cardinal fans know he's out of the, the rest of the season with some shoulder problems, which was unfortunate and unfortunate for the entire Cardinals team. But enough Cardinals, Ralph. This isn't a Cardinals podcast. This is a prospect podcast. So I want to ask one more time, uh, just one last question about the list here. And it goes back to something you said in one of your most recent texts regarding um, the fact that it's almost like you've seen Brendan Rodgers, Bo Bichette, and Vlad Guerrero so much that you get a little jaded around them. So your thoughts overall just kind of on seeing guys multiple times and and – I don't know. I, this is something I experienced as well in terms of just like removing the hype from a guy you see. Because obviously I was really excited to see Gore. I'm always excited to see any of the top tier talents I get a look at. So you kind of go in with really high expectations. And if they're not met, you tend to devalue the guy. If they're met or whatever, you start to overvalue the guy. So I, I'm just interested, you know, talk about you've seen Bichette multiple times, probably more than me now and, and Vlad um, and Brendan Rodgers and Kevin Biggio. And, you know, Jonathan Davis is even the guy I'm sure you had to consider for this list and stuff. So, so I, w- at what point do you look at a guy who's a top 10 talent and see him enough to the point where you're not impressed anymore? It just seems insane to me, but I think it is something that, ha- that happens every now and then. I, I feel like I'm not Im- as impressed with other prospects. I mean, because I've seen some I really see great talents okay. within the last year. I mean, I've seen Vlad is always impressive. Bichette at times looked less impressive because he was next to Vlad. And I think uh, it was yep. the same thing with, with Rogers. Um, and I guess that's what stood out is I saw so many great Kevin Biggio performances and great Kevin Biggio at bats and not a lot of bad hacks. Like he doesn't have some of the hacks that even Vlad takes at times. Right. Not that, not that we should say anything. Vlad barely ever strikes out, but he does take his aggressive hacks as does, as does Bo Bichette. I think the strikeout rate would be a little bit more of an issue with Bichette, but um, I think it's hard to put other things in perspective. I've seen Ronald Acuna a few weeks before he got called up. Um, I've seen all that talent in the Cape league over the last year and every game that I've gone to throughout this year in terms of the minors, other than going to see like Connecticut, uh, where there really wasn't anybody on the field, like I'm spoiled, you know, the fact that I've seen so many of the top talents, um, you know, on one field repeatedly over and over and over again. That when I look back and I made this list and it's like, holy crap, like I've seen, you know, three of the top 15 guys four times, five times this year uh, against each other, you know? Um, and I think that's, that's kind of what I meant. Um, I don't know if they become less impressive, but I think it took me uh, a minute to take a step back and put in perspective how good Brian Rogers still is and how good his numbers are and knowing what it's like to try to hit for power and hard for on a daily basis. The fact that they've moved him around to a lot of different positions Then how cold it was early in the year. I was like, all right, you know, I got to give him the benefit of the doubt in the numbers. 
are uh, pretty good. And I think another guy that's kind of like that, um, this is way off topic, but Ryan Mountcastle has really come out again and he's hitting in yeah, double A. Yeah. And he's a guy that I am crazy, crazy aggressive in ranking. I've consistently been very aggressive in ranking Mountcastle highly. And uh, I'm going to keep on doing it. I decided not to, not to back off of him. You know, I don't want to mm-hmm. move anybody down too much, too much. Yeah, so you have Mountcastle at 32 overall. He's a guy, another really interesting one, where he cut his strike rate by about, I think, 6-ish percent year over year. Repeated the level buoy. He had 39 games there last year, 53 this year. He's doubled his home runs. His ISO's up a bit. Everything is up a bit, and it it seems like it might be clicking for him. And he's a guy, I remember we looked at a while ago, where he he had basically as smooth a swing as Brendan Rodgers did, which is saying a lot, because I still think Brendan Rodgers has one of the smoother righty swings in the minor leagues, and... You know, and the and the Orioles kind of tinkered with Mountcastle, and it didn't seem like it was going to work out. He's not really great defensively, which I think is the big problem. Where it's basically no. like if he moves to the outfield, does the bat play up? And wh- how he's hitting right now, it's like it seems like it might. It seems like it might to the point where he becomes a well. relevant corner outfielder. So I, I think that's an appropriate rank at 32. I'd probably have him a little bit lower, but I mean, you've consistently been on on, on Mountcastle. And I think it's paid yeah. off really well just because of how well he's played this year, yeah. particularly. And he's, he's a good hitter. Yeah, you know, and he's coming off a hand too. injury too. Can't can't underplay that. Very good point as well. Yeah, there's a lot of injuries. Th- I, that's another thing to consider on this list as well. Yeah, so many. He didn't hit a lot so of. Pa- he didn't hit. He didn't hit for a lot of power initially, and I think it's it started to come over the last month, few weeks. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, let's close with the last kind of 15 minutes of the show right here, and and sure. do two other lists very briefly. So I wrote a column on Razzball <laughs> on Monday regarding Baseball America and Fangraphs list. So. I haven't had a chance to kind of compare them back to yours and see any massive differences, but between those two particularly, Ralph, I'm sure you kind of had passive looks at both BAs and Fangraphs. Four guys I pulled out that I thought were relatively interesting that had some of the biggest diversity in terms of where they were ranked. And I, we've already mentioned, I believe, two of these guys. Maybe we can get into the other two very quickly as we close out the show. So I'll just run through the four that I mentioned in this column. Joe Adele, Fangraphs had him at 59, 13th on Baseball America's list, and you had him fifth, so you're definitely on the B.A. side there. Adrian Narejo was 106th on Fangraphs and 24 overall on Baseball America. I believe this was the biggest differential for any guy that was mentioned on both lists. Um, 123rd for your list, Ralph, which is kind of more in line with the Fangraphs side of things. Luis Guajara was 26th on Fangraphs in their most recent update and 72 on Baseball America. You have a 95. Seems like you side with Baseball America there. And Christian Pache, who I still think is one of the most interesting guys to rank, 28th on Fangraphs list. He was not ranked on the Baseball America list. That only goes to 100 overall. Um, and you have him at 37. So very, very interesting in terms of just these four guys. We already talked a little bit of Adele. We already talked, I believe, a little bit of Gohara. I would like to take a look at Morejon and Pache specifically. Let's start Morejon, Ralph. Just at, He's another one of these lefty arms in the, in the Padres system. He's another one of the advanced Cuban arms who... I believe he's pitched relatively well on the level he's at. I think he's up in Lake Elsinore right now. I'll pull up his stats and confirm how well he's pitching. But I believe it has been a kind of a correction in his walk rate. His strikeout rate is up a little bit. He's always had a decent changeup. I think his slider's always been average as well. He's got the possibility to pull together a couple above-average pitches with decent command. And I think a lot of people see him as kind of more maybe that three in that rotation. I don't know if they see him as the upside that a guy like Mackenzie Gore or even Michelle Bias has or even now Chris Paddock has in the system. But... Um, you have him outside the top 100. I know it's probably aligns with the devaluation of some of these younger pitchers. Morion's only 19. Yeah. up in high A still. But uh, was that a tough one for you to rank, or did that just kind of fall in place? I think it kind of just fell in place. And we'll see you know, where he ends up ultimately in that next uh, 100 now that I'm sort of going through and finalizing a lot of those rankings and getting some groupings and pairings and stuff like that down. But... Um, I like Morihan a lot. You know, he's got plus stuff. That changeup is just 
goofy. Um, and he's got, you know, a few changeups and breaking stuff, decent velocity. He's a lefty. There aren't a ton of good lefty arms right now. He's probably in the top 10 of lefties. He's just sort of on that cusp with a lot of other pitching prospects where I like them. I think they're really talented, but you know, how much value do they necessarily have? And they don't necessarily broach the upside that I think some of the guys that are within my top 100 have, uh, or some of the short ETAs. But I think, you know, if you look at some of the arms that are in my top 100 that beat them out, that might be within their range, like a guy like a Justin Dunn, um, or I have Gohara there where they're both sort of this point, two pitch guys. Uh, I know that the reports from, from J, uh, from Jason Woodell are that, you know, that third pitch, the changeup has come a, a really long way for Dunn and he uses it in two strike, you know, accounts, um, which is a big development, which is why I have him where I have him. Um, Gohara seen major league time. I've seen Gohara pitch live right behind home plate. Fastball was incredible. Uh, the slider is incredible. He's got no feel for the changeup at all. And I, you know, I don't know on a bad day if he has any control at all. And those guys are typical to blow ups, which ultimately hurt your underlying stats and your ERA where I don't know if Dunn uh, is as volatile as Gohara is. And I think that's reflected in the rank, particularly with Gohara, why he's down as far as he is. You could flip Morihan and Gohar, in my opinion, and I wouldn't have an issue with it. And I think a lot of Absolutely. those arms are interchangeable. Eniel, De Los Santos, he's kind of interchangeable. Griffin Canning's another guy that's right around the cusp of the top 100. He's kind of interchangeable, and it's just really like pick your, pick your poison, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then the last guy, uh, maybe we could close out the show with this unless we have more to talk about. But Christian Boucher, I think that he is the most interesting player to rank just because I think he has the biggest differential between real life value and obviously I want to qualify by saying Baseball America and Fangraphs list they're both real life lists which Ralph's definitely more of a fantasy spin but I still think there's some overlap and similarities in valuation of prospects regarding that so uh, sure um but with Pache I I think he has the biggest differential for for one main reason in the fact that he's a plus glove plus arm uh, almost a league glove lead arm. I've seen those graded out of 7080s before, and speed is around that 7080 window as well. So the three tools that he has, two of them have no relevance in fantasy at all for me. And then you go back to the hit tool and the power tool, and the, the swing's been line drive for a while. He had a weird, weird stretch last year where he didn't hit any home runs. Or actually, I think most of his career, he went like 700 plate appearances without a home run. Then he had two home runs in one game in an extended spring game in Atlanta, in SunTrust, I believe. I think that was off of a higher-level pitcher in their system as well. I don't remember who. It might have been Sorok or something, but I don't want to toss any false information out there. And then he comes in this year, and I believe he has six home runs right now. So it seems like the power is coming around a little bit. My biggest concern is just really how much power there actually is and if the hit tool can ever get to a point where he's relevant for fantasy. Because I think he could be one of those guys that ends up in that in that Kevin Kiermaier, Kevin Pillar window where it's like really good speed, plus runner, plus base runner, really good defense, and everyone just kind of hopes that the back comes around eventually. And that's really my biggest concern. Kiermaier just has to stay healthy and not run into yeah. the wall. Okay, maybe. That's the biggest issue with Kiermaier. <laughs> yeah. Um, well. yeah, I think it can be even more than that because I think when we, we, we take for granted the fact that he's 19 years old until late November, so he's 19 for all the year. He's a physical specimen in terms of he's a big athletic guy. He could probably add a little bit more good weight. There's a ton of projectability there. Top of the scale, speed. The defense will continue to carry him and will get him a major league gig. That will push him a little bit. That will get him opportunities 
I think the hits there, the raw powers there and the speed. And, you know, I don't know if he's going to be a 2020 guy, a 2040 guy one day. I don't know if he's got that kind of upside. He could, um, but I'll take the 280, 15, 25 steel, uh, Christian Pache all day long that plays every day and scores a ton of runs. And, you know, is almost like a souped up version of Ender Enciarte. Those guys are really valuable in fantasy. And I think the progression in terms of his power and the way that, uh, the, the Braves have developed a lot of these these young international talents, whether it be Ozzy Albies, uh, whether it be Ronald Acuna, um, or even Comargo, uh, a guy like that as well. Um, I think you can't undervalue how much they sort of seem to get, how much juice they seem to get out of those oranges, right? It, it seems like <laughs> they get the most out of those players, and he's following a very similar uh, career path to um, both of them, but in particular, Ozzy Albies, where that tick up season over season from almost no power to showing a lot of power to now what we're seeing in the major leagues with, uh, with Albies. Yeah. I think that it's, it's easy to maybe write it off. A lot of it's a projection. It's a total projection rank. Uh, but I try to balance some of that projection because I think you need that. I think you need to play upside and you need to gamble on guys that you think uh, can can turn into superstar talents and impact players and guys that can contribute in 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 uh, speed without hurting you in power. And I think that those are amongst the most valuable players that uh, we roster nowadays in fantasy. Mm-hmm. I think that the, I like the Ender NCR take out there in terms of just having that average, because I feel like that's something that I know Rudy was a proponent of early in the year when he was ranking Buster Posey in a lot of his lists because Posey's a guy who never really is flashy in terms of RBIs and all these other things, but he's always average-based, you know? And, and I feel like to some extent if you could combine Pache, you give yourself like a 280 hitter, and then you add in the the baseline speed, which everyone thinks will be plus at the major league level, and hopefully it results in him stealing bases as opposed to just being a good base runner. And you look at a guy, again, like 280, 25, that could be some value. I just, I don't know. I don't know why I'm a little bit lower on him. I think that yeah. most consensus people are. But um, maybe I just don't see the projection of the hit tool out at the major league level more. But 18% like rate in high A, I think, I think that's something to definitely consider. And I like him more than Drew Waters. So mm-hmm, there you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Rob, is there anything else we could go through on this list? I think we're about at the hour 10 minute mark. We usually run to like uh, hour 40, but I feel like we've consolidated these pods down. We're getting into a no, good flow. I think them. we got the, I um, think we got the 100 here now, uh, you know, just to review Vlad Jr. Tatis, Kyle Tucker, Victor Robles, Joe Adele, Eloy Jimenez, six, seven, Bo Bichette, uh, eight, Nick Senzel, nine, Keston Huria, which I think might be an aggressive rank, but I think for fantasy, it makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense. Um, especially if you listen to what I've said over the last hour plus Royce Lewis, 10 Taylor Trammell, 11 Brendan Rogers, 12 Jesus Sanchez, 13 Mejia, 14 Kirilov, 15 Forrest Whitley, 16 Carter Kaiboom, 17 Jordan Alvarez, 18 Austin Riley, 19 Louis Robert, 20 Tyler O'Neill, 21 Ryan McMahon was a tough one to slot in, but I feel like I can't mm-hmm. give up on him yet. Uh, 22 for McMahon, 23 for Alec, Alec Baum. Uh, Jesus Lazardo, 24, Willie Adamas is 25 with Khalil Lee slipping in at 26, who was, uh, a guy initially I had in my, uh, in my top 25. So, um, there's a lot of movers and shakers and I, I think it's funny, a good guy to sort of, um, bounce off of, uh, um, some of these other guys is someone like, uh, 
Estevan Floreal, you know, where mm, he's another one maybe, of the upside outfielders. Yeah, you know, maybe he's had some struggles, and I have him ahead of Christian Pache. But in some ways, it wouldn't shock me if Pache ends up being the better major league player. You know, um, but mm-hmm. he's a guy there that there were some injuries. He bumped up a level. He's young. I don't want to give up on Estevan Floreal because he struggled. Uh, if anything, sometimes it's good. It means there might be some development there. There's something for him to work on that needs to be addressed. I, I'm sure the Yankees will. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, McMahon is another guy that slots in right with the Verdugos and the Barretos where these borderline about to lose the playing time and you could slot in someone else into your top 100 the second they graduate. But um, yeah, well, one last guy I want to bring up. One yeah, last guy yeah. I want to bring up is I awkwardly sort of fumble through the last thoughts here on this top 100 podcast. <laughs> um, I dropped Willie Calhoun all the way down to 41 and I had had him with well within the top 20. I don't think Willie Calhoun can't hit major league pitching. I, I do think he can. It's obvious the defensive issues are a major concern, and he's really just a DH, and they have to have an opportunity for him to play at that position. The off-the-field stuff, the, 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 the moping, the lack of hustle, the, the uh, uh, being pulled out of games, and I think maybe even suspended for a game or two, if I'm not mistaken, this season, some of that stuff um, – that's not great. You know, that's, that's not something you want to see, especially from a guy that doesn't have a position and, you know, he really does have to hustle and work his butt off to get an opportunity. And I thought that's kind of what, uh, he symbolized. And I think, you know, maybe this is silly, but I, I feel like some of that pouting and that off the field stuff is, as just, it's, it's, it's tarnished him a little bit in my eyes. And, uh, I've kept him within the top 50. So I'm not like completely off with Calhoun, uh, but I think I had to adjust expectations a little bit just based on all the factors that are there. Um, and you have to factor that in a little bit sometimes too, you know? Absolutely. I think he was a guy preseason who had some of the more insane uh, steamer projections I've ever seen for a guy with very little, you know, 13 games in the major league. He was like a 270, 26 home run guy, I think, with a yeah. moderate K rate and a decent walk rate for the projections. And I think that that, that kind of highlights a thing we go back to with guys like Hunter Green and some other guys where you just love – you know, the, the intangibles of them, when you interact with them, when you see them on the field, when you see them pitch and their, their fight and their energy, it's just uh, those things. I know you throw them by the wayside just because you can't objectively look at them and you can't objectively quantify them and bring them into valuation of a player. But when you're doing a subjective rank like this, like I think you have to consider those things. And Willie Calhoun's a weird one. Cause I think last year, the narrative was that we don't really know why the Rangers are holding him down. Like he's clearly ready. It's defensive, whatever they're yeah. playing time. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I think they've proven, you know, they said that it wasn't a defensive thing. Um, or excuse me, they said it wasn't a service time thing. It was more defensive, and everyone's like, Psh, come on. But I think we're actually seeing that they, the, the Rangers might have been actually truthful, whereas a lot of other organizations maybe weren't with what they were doing with their service time. But yeah, they abide by the defense fact that they matters. want to keep them down. Defense does, matters, absolutely. you know. There you go. Ralph, this has, been a, hey. this has been a pleasure going through this. Yeah, it's been it's been a wild ride. I got I got more rankings to do and to get this whole thing out and – I think because of this, the sheer volume and the number of ranks that's, that's going to be in this post, I'm not, I'm not going to do like any blurbs. You should know about all these players. I'm pretty sure I've probably written about almost all these players. The first year player draft ranks will have blurbs. So you can get back to those if you need sort of the first touch on those guys. But I, I write scouting reports all year round on these players. I write blurbs on these players all year round. So um, click on their names and, Search all the different posts, and you'll, you'll, you'll capture all my thoughts and look at their statistics and look at the prospectinator and see what Rudy's projecting them for uh, for 2018 value as well. So there you go. Mm-hmm. That's, my, that's my little plug. But I think when I give you 500 names, 
it's really tough for me to write about fall 500 players. <laughs> Which is very understandable. All right, everybody. It's weird me manning this podcast. I don't know if I like it. Uh, I feel like I have to pass the torch back to Ralph in terms of doing the intro and then segue back to me and him as we as we bounce back and forth. But okay. I definitely took the reins on this one. It felt a little weird, but I hope it went well. I hope everybody uh, enjoyed right. it. And, uh, well, you know, Ralph's list again drafts, I believe, Tuesday. We're shooting it for, and uh, um, he'll have that up on the site, Roswell.com. It will be a... Uh, the omnibus post I'm calling it. I think you had it as Listzilla, which I like, Listzilla. which is almost like a, a an homage to Blake Snell, Snellzilla. I know it's his nickname, but um, everyone check out that. Check out Razball.com for all the content that me and Ralph are putting out. Ralph, you have a couple comments a week. I think this will be your your big one. Though. I don't think you'll probably do a minor league update. There's maybe not too necessary with the massive list coming out. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm probably Monday. not gonna do a minor league update for a couple weeks. Yeah, that's understandable, but um. Excited for this list, Ralph, at Prospect Jesus. Follow him. It'll definitely drop on there. Thanks for joining us, as always, on the Roswell Prospect Podcast. Check out Rotoware. Check out Roswell.com. At Prospect Jesus for Ralph. At Lance Brosdow for me. Everybody enjoy the rest of your week. And weekend, week, whatever. <laughs> Take care. Privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting enrolls for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just one. $1. Text the word grade to 323232 right now. Hooked on Phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun, and everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day. For more than 30 years, Hooked on Phonics has been the proven learn to read program that kids love to use. Text grade to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text grade to 323232 right now and get started for just $1. Text grade to 323232 now. Text grade to 323232.